Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's April the 19th, a Wednesday, 2023. We're having a kind of generational tech culture day today. Earlier today, I talked to Julia Angwin, who's part of my generation, um, very distinguished technology writer. She founded The Markup. She's the author of Stealing My Space, the authoritative book about the first social media platform and Dragnet Nation, a book about surveillance in our digital age. And we did a really interesting show about when the medium becomes the message, our age of social media. And Julia and I are of similar age talked about what we're leaving for the next generation, the generation of our children, the generation who grew up on social media, on, on dating apps. And appropriately enough, uh, my guest uh, today is uh, part of that generation. Genevieve Wheeler is a young journalist and writer, and she has a new book out, Adelaide. It's a, in some ways a romantic uh, novel, but it also deals with the technology of our age, particularly dating apps. Genevieve is joining us from the Killery Hotel in Brooklyn. Uh, congratulations, Genevieve, on your first novel. It came out yesterday. You must be feeling very proud. Yes, thank you. Um, no, it's been, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind, but all good things. So Genevieve, how do you feel about my generation, this generation that's passed down this technological world, the world of social media, of Twitter, of Facebook, of Instagram, of Pinterest, of TikTok, of dating apps. Are you grateful to us or do you feel that we've uh, passed on a lot of garbage to, to your crowd? <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, and I, I'm like a millennial. I'm not, I'm not part of Gen Z. So I feel like I wasn't born with the internet at my fingertips in the same way that a lot of this next generation now now has been. Um, but I mean, in so many ways, like social media is such a gift and it's such a great way to connect with other people. And um, I am obviously American, but I live in London. So it's a very easy way for me to, to stay in touch and, and keep up with what's going on with my friends and family over here. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a double-edged sword and, and there are a lot of downsides to it and a lot of complications that come with it. So I think, you know, take the highs with the highs and the lows with the lows kind of. Uh, would it be fair to call Adelaide a a romantic, I don't know whether you want to call it a comedy or a, a, a romantic novel, um, a romantic novel in, in the tradition of Nora Ephron and her work uh, when Harry Met Sally and uh, other books like uh, Heartburn. Um, but in our social media age, uh, an age of, of texting and of, uh, a world where we all wear our, our identities digitally. We see each mm. other in this um, uh, digital hall of mirrors. Yeah, so I think I I wouldn't describe it as like a, a romantic comedy. It it deals with some darker themes. There, romance is a is a huge part of the story. Um, but We're all romance, like, Genevieve, is funny, even if it's sad as well, isn't <laughs> that's it? That's true. That's true. Um, but I would say it's probably got shades of, of Nora Ephron's heartburn in that it's, um, 
loosely autobiographical and kind of written in real time about what it feels like to to kind of go through the highs and lows of, of a relationship and of ultimately losing that relationship. Um, but I tried not to, dating apps are, are kind of an integral part of the plot, but I tried not to focus too much on social media throughout because I think it's hard to have something feel timeless when it's so focused on the newest, latest trend. And, and I wanted this to be a book that could be read years from now and, you know, by previous generations, by future generations, and hopefully still feel relevant, even though it is very much a book about um, kind of millennial millennial life and millennial culture. I, I try not to zero in too much on the, the digital side of things. Um, you, uh, you have a quote on your website from Nora Ephron. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you quote, we all grew up with this thing. This is what Nora wrote that my mother said to us over and over and over again, which is everything is copy. You'd come home with something that you thought was a tragedy of your life. Someone hadn't asked you to dance or the hem had fallen off your dress or whatever you thought was the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being. And my mother would always say, everything is copy. Is this part of your novel? Everything is copy. Is it an aggregation of your life experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think aggregation is the best way to frame it. It is a work of fiction. Um, you know, the characters are amalgamations of people I've known and worked with and loved and, and fallen out of love with in real life. Um, but I, I tried very hard to pull from my own experience to kind of write this and make it feel as real and as raw as possible. And it's difficult sometimes when you're going through something not to, if you're writing about it in real time, not to kind of self-mythologize to an extent. Um, but I think I think this line, everything is copy, is something that really sticks with me. I've got EIC tattooed on my finger as a reminder. Um, because especially when you're kind of, when you think the worst thing has happened to you, as Nora Ephron said, like, it's just a reminder that you can turn that into a story and, and share it and, and hopefully spin it into something good. Genevieve, you're, uh, one of the things that Julia and I talked about was the undermining of, of our trade, of writing, of journalism, of, of, of book writing. Mm -hmm. um, you describe yourself as a reader, a writer, and a content creator. When Julia and I, and I don't want to speak on behalf of Julia, but certainly when I was your age and I was an aspiring writer, I didn't call myself a content creator. What's changed um, in, in the world that you exist in? What, what do you mean by being a content creator? Is it harder, do you think, to write these days, to do journalism, to write books? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's harder. Um, I, I don't know. I, I can't to what the experience is like for anybody else. Um, but I think as long as you're kind of pulling from what you see and what you experience, there's always gonna be a story to tell. There's always gonna be something fresh and, and new and you're always going to look into it a little bit differently than the person next to you. And so I think in that sense, it hasn't gotten harder. As far as being a content creator goes, I think I would probably truthfully change that um, present day because I think the connotation now is that if you're a content creator, you're kind of like an, an influencer, you're creating content to, to share with the world. And really, I just meant that in a sense of like, I do some, I did some copywriting freelancing, I did some content marketing and um, was trying to capture that side of things. Um, but I think, yeah, it's interesting to be a writer today because I think such an important part is building your platform and sharing your work with the world and sometimes in, in some ways that's gotten easier and in some ways it's gotten harder in that like there are a lot more 
there are many more places to share your work, but it also means that you have to be present in all of these places and creating content for all of these places and kind of trying to juggle a, a thousand things at once. Um, right. I mean, you're on Twitter. I mean, you, and this is from your website, you're on Pinterest, you're on <laughs> Instagram, uh, <laughs> you're on Facebook. I'm not sure if you're on TikTok. And this is all pushed on your website, perhaps as a writer. How, uh, again, I'm not necessarily trying to pigeonhole you as in generational terms, but how mm-hmm. important is are, are all these social media presences for you, both as a person, uh, perhaps as someone potentially involved in romantic relationships, and also professionally? So again, I think professionally, like it's important to, to have a platform and to share your work and I'm not great at doing that. I don't have a huge Twitter following. I don't have a, you know, Facebook fan page to encourage people to talk about my work. I, so I'm, I'm really slacking on that front in a few ways. Um, but I think the important thing is to make sure that those touch points are available to people and they are a way that you can connect with, with someone, whether it's a friend, whether it's a, you know, professional networking connection, whether it's, I don't know, a, a potential reader, like it, it's just important to kind of be, be out there these days, I think, and, and to be available. Is, uh, Julia and I talked to and we were talking about our kids, um, that you, and again, I don't want to, perhaps you're slightly older than our kids, but um, people, younger people these days don't have privacy. You can't retire. Everything has to be known. So for example, mm-hmm. when you decide to date, and I know this is part of the, the novel Adelaide, um, it's very easy to learn about people, although, of course, much of what you learn isn't true or is biased or is corrupt or corrupting. Right. I think it's interesting because I think in my case, like I have written for a very long time about things that have happened to me in real life. I I was a dating writer throughout grad school and um, would share these personal experiences and anecdotes anecdotes quite openly. Um, The other side of that is that I think it is possible to kind of maintain a degree of privacy and say, you know what, I don't want to put myself out there in this way. Um, My boyfriend, for instance, quite a private person and kind of keeps to himself outside of maybe tweeting about the odd rugby game here and there. Um, But I think it's, to your point, it's important not to take the persona that someone has put out on social media or perhaps someone else has put out for them on social media and assume that that is their entire personality because it's just one dimension of who they are. Um, so I try to avoid like, I used, when I was when I was dating, I tried to avoid Googling people before I went out with them and I didn't need to know everything about them before meeting them in real life. You do write though, you've, you've written, you, you wrote about, uh on Mashable about how to write witty banter on dating apps, uh, according to other best-selling writers. Uh, You wrote a piece about what your Tinder matches really thought of of your photos. Uh, You you wrote a piece for Bustle on on why trash-talking your ex can help actually help you move on. Do you think most people, particularly young women, are, for better or worse, living their romantic lives online? Again, I think I'm a little bit of an exception to the rule um, because I was a dating writer because I do freelance journalism. And um, Is there a lot I, of demand for this, though? I'm guessing there is. 
I think so. I think there is. But at the same time, I think um, I think people are curious to ensure that their story, that they're not alone in what they're experiencing. And um, and people want to know how to write witty banter and people want to know like how to how to curate photographs for a dating app profile and it's these types of things that people are searching for and, and looking it's a bit, for. But for I me, think, it's a bit sad that people would I mean it's it's not a criticism of you, but that people would want to read advice on how to write witty banter on dating apps, in other words, how to attract uh romantic partners i i'm guessing it's mostly women but probably men too i think it's both honestly um but i think it's it's just when you're in this world and and when you're dating via kind of the internet first and foremost it can be really daunting and feel a little bit like um groundhog day i think and you know the same thing over and over and the same conversations over and over and so i think people struggle to to find ways to keep things fresh and to figure out how to put their best foot forward in these types of environments, then that's what I think they're looking for. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a matter of, you know, I don't, I don't know how to be creative, so I need to find someone else to be creative for me. I think it's more just, this is kind of a daunting, overwhelming world that we're living in and whatever I can do to, to help me navigate it, I'm going to do. You've been very good about me pigeonholing you, putting you as, <laughs> as Mrs. or Miss Dating App, Miss uh, Romantic Online Person. Talk to me a little bit more about the book. We want people, of course, to read it, so we don't want to give away the entire plot. But Kirkus loved it. They gave it a uh, a starred review, which is quite impressive. They called it vulnerable, tender, and impossible to put down. Um, So two questions on the book. Firstly, what were you trying to do with Adelaide? And secondly, just give us... um, an inkling of the story without giving too much away. Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer those in reverse. So Adelaide is the story of a 20-something American woman living in London, um, much like myself, who has a, a tumultuous relationship with a very charming English man. And drama All Englishmen, uh, Genevieve, are charming, aren't they? <laughs> well, this is that. <laughs> Especially when you're an American expat. Um, what is it about the English accent? I don't. I, something I will tell you. So my my boyfriend now is is British, and he's been with me in New York this week, and it is hilarious to see how people respond to him. Um, it is just endlessly charming. I think for those of us who grew up on films like Notting Hill, it it's just like a Hugh Grant fantasy or something. Does he but... does he look like Hugh Grant? He doesn't look like Hugh Grant. Um, Michael but... Caine. None of those, but he could, he does wear the occasional cable knit sweater. So there's Mm -hmm. some similarities there. Um, But, but no, so I think um, just just going back to Adelaide, what I was, what I was trying to do with it was capture this experience and and capture the story. And I kind of, I wrote it for myself first as a way to kind of process certain things that I'd experienced in, in recent years and work through them through words and ultimately turned it into something fictionalized and shareable. Um, And the response so far that I've gotten from early readers has been really, really encouraging in that I think I I hopefully was able to capture this kind of universal experience of what it's like to date in your your 20s and fall in love with someone who doesn't quite love you back, so. Has that 
change though is there something universal about love this comes back i guess to the earlier theme of social media and how that's changed us do you think in 100 or 50 years there'll still be novels about love whether it's ai love or virtual reality love or some other high-tech love but basically things won't have changed i think love is always going to be a theme that people write about and it's always going to feel like a completely fresh and new experience when you're going through it. Um, whether that's falling in love or falling out of it. And I think people always write and, and capture that experience in different ways. Um, but I think it, it definitely will continue to change and transform in the same way that dating apps have completely rewritten how we, we find relationships and find partners now. Um, I have a feeling as social media, as technology continues to evolve, so too will the nature of dating and the nature of, of finding love. But... How, how do you think dating labs, I, I want to come back to the plot of Adelaide, but mm -hmm. briefly, how, how could dating lab uh, apps be improved? I mean, you're obviously professionally very familiar with them. You've written about them on lots of different platforms. What, what, what's missing from them at the moment? I don't know that I could pinpoint anything that's missing. I think the greatest challenge is that it's hard to level set and know what someone else is looking for in a dating app because some people are going to be looking for a long-term partner. Some people are not, and not everyone is going to be honest and upfront about that. Um, and the other piece of it is that when you've got, you know, literally thousands of people at your fingertips, it makes it really difficult to say, well, well, here's why I'm going to continue to pursue, you know, X, Y, Z relationship with, with one person. Um, there's just a lot of temptation out there but I'm not sure I could pinpoint a way to improve that. I think is there an, matter, a, 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 an abundance of choice, Genevieve? We've done shows yeah. on this actually yeah. recently that um, it's the paradox of choice one writer described where if you have too much choice, it's impossible to choose. Exactly, exactly. I think that's kind of the problem. And I'm guessing that there's going to be the, and maybe there already is, a, a new fashion for analog dating. For people who get off these apps entirely and only want to meet in person and and want um, coincidental meetings rather than former uh, ones established on the internet through links. Mm -hmm. Serendipity, I mean, serendipity is still key for romance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I think people will continue to meet in a variety of ways and when you click with a person, you click with them, whether you find them on a dating app or whether you meet them at a bar or whether they live next door to you and you get a package for them accidentally one day. Like, I think everybody would love to have a meet cute and it looks different now than it used to. But again, I think when you click, you click and that's, that's the reality. So finally, uh, Genevieve, tell us a little bit more about, let's end with um, just an outline of the book without giving away uh, too much because we want people to buy the book. It's just out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. So, I mean, it, it starts in, in media res, so it starts kind of at the end of this relationship. And you know that something has gone wrong. You know that um, the character of Adelaide is in the midst of a, a pretty serious mental health crisis, but you don't know what led her to that point. And so that's, that's the prologue. And then from the first chapter onward, we kind of jump back in time and, and follow the rise and fall of, of her relationship with this character named Rory Hughes. And along the way, 
kind of learn about various tragedies that impact his life, learn about the importance of female friendship and, and supporting Adelaide through this journey. And then ultimately at the end, it's kind of a story of, of resolution and of finding your way back to yourself when you have spent so long putting someone else's needs before your own. Um, but it does, it does end on a, on a high note. It does on a, a, a happy note. So hopefully that will encourage anyone who's struggling with some of the darker themes to, to keep going. And finally, Genevieve, um, we've done many shows on the relationship between social media and anxiety and even depression. Your novel, of course, doesn't deal with that. The fact that someone may or may not be anxious in a novel doesn't speak of an entire generation. But what's your take on the relationship between the generational anxiety, it seems, particularly the, the generation that grew up on the Internet and social media and dating apps? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's really difficult in this world not to constantly compare yourself to other people's dating profiles, other people's, you know, highlight reels on Instagram, other people's fill in the blank that you're seeing on social media. Um, and I think that definitely, definitely leads to like an increase in anxiety because how can it not when you're constantly inundated A with more news than you've ever been inundated with and B with so many points of comparison. Um, but at the same time, I think if, if people can kind of find a way to strike a healthy balance, then keep a safe distance from social media and remind themselves that it's, it's not reality, it's one dimension of a person's life, then I think it can be a force for good in a lot of ways as well.